All right, awesome, awesome. Go ahead and find your seat. Thanks for doing that. Hey, some of you, hey, some of you have to be honest. You wait for this time every year because there's that guy or gal, I can't remember their name. And then name tag November rolls around and it's like, Steve. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Hey, I've been out for a couple of weeks and man, every time I'm gone from this church, uh, I miss this church. And I know we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. We feel like we're a part of something special here. God's doing something unique. And I, and I really do believe that. Like we never over sensationalize those things. But when I'm gone, like when I'm gone, I really, I feel it, I feel it. And uh, while, on that, while I'm on that note, can we give it up for Trent and Josiah who did a great job teaching while I was gone? Both of those guys are a part of our teaching team and uh, that's been incredibly intentional from the beginning of this church that I wanted you to hear from multiple voices, not just mine. And I'm so thankful for their voices. I learn from them. I don't sit in here and kind of like critique them as they're preaching. Uh, I sit in here and I learn from them and I'm so grateful for the different voices that all of you get to learn from. I believe that is a really big blessing. Uh, one of the reasons why I've been gone is I went to visit Rue Church, which is one of our church plants that we partnered with, with Pastor Isaac down in Tampa. I went to preach for him one Sunday and spent some time with him and his team doing some leadership coaching. Uh, and if you don't know this, I want you to know this, that it's a part of our plus one vision. They'll throw up this graphic, this plus one vision uh, that we want to set aside $100,000 every single year, every single year to plant a brand new church, because we believe one of the greatest contributions that we can make to the kingdom of God is starting a brand new a new church. And so we're never going to be that church that simply focuses on what God is only doing here, but we're going to focus on, on what God is doing outside the walls of this church as well. Anybody else thankful to be a part of a church that is focusing on God's big K kingdom, not just building our own little K kingdom here. And so, man, that was a great time just being away. But I know Josiah already mentioned this. I've got to mention it again. We packed over 125,000 meals yesterday, church. Let's go. Nearly 500 of you showed up to help us to accomplish that. And if I can just have a moment with you, uh, being the church planter uh, that started this church, uh, I think we started the, the meal packing event five to six years ago. And our first meal packing event had less than 100 people show up. I think we packed somewhere around 20,000 meals. And we thought that was awesome, but we hoped for a day that that would grow. And so to think back five to six years ago when we started this and then to see what it's become, I'm just, I'm grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you to stepping up, taking you know, time outside of your Saturday, showing up, packing meals, and uh, man, just super, super pumped for how God has continued to grow this event. I do wanna let you know that uh, the president of Mission of Hope, who we partner with for this meal packing event, the president of Mission of Hope, uh, Brad Johnson, was with us yesterday, and he specifically came because our church has gotten the reputation to be the most efficient church packing church, I'm not joking, in the nation. I'm not joking. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't clap yet. Don't clap yet. And he came here and he's watching it. And, and I said, man, are you guys just like blowing smoke up our dress? And are you, but, uh, sorry, that's an expression I probably shouldn't use in church. But I said, like, really? And he goes, no, Aaron, seriously, I've never seen a church pack meals this fast. And I'm looking at him like, man, thank you for saying that. Like, by no, we know why we do this. This is not a competition. But if it were, we're winning. Let's go, Trace. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have clapped for that. I don't know. 
Um, here's something else that we're gonna do. If you're new to Trace, you haven't experienced this with us yet, but every year to kind of join uh, an extra kind of emphasis during this time, this particular week where we, we always pack the meals the Saturday before Thanksgiving, and then Monday through Wednesday, we enter into a church-wide fast. If you're new to fasting, uh, fasting, the point of it is you set aside food. It's not just abstaining from anything. Sometimes people get this wrong. If you look at the biblical definition for fasting, it's fasting from food so that you depend on God in bigger and greater ways. And so between Monday and Wednesday of this week, I'm going to invite you to fast, fast and pray. And again, the point of fasting, you give up something so that when you're thinking about the food, uh, you pray instead. And so just to tell you, I'm gonna do it this way. You can figure out how you need to do it because I know there are some you know, limitations with some of you. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up solid food, so I'll drink like protein shakes uh, and or bone broth and water, uh, but I'm not gonna eat for three days. And every time I want food, I want you know, something with more substance, I'm just gonna be reminded to pray and depend on God in greater ways. But here's what I want us to pray for. I want us to pray that God would send these over 125,000 meals to the mouths that need them the most. Like, do we understand? Can we take a moment and empathize right now with the mom or dad who is praying because their little boy or girl doesn't have adequate nutrition? Like, it, it, that's a true story. And so we wanna pray, uh, God, would you send these meals to the mouths that need them the most? This is an incredible opportunity to grow our empathy for people that don't have the basic needs and necessities of life. This is also a great opportunity to pray um, and, and ask God to help us to be grateful for what we do have. Uh, I think we know it, right? We get it that we are privileged compared to the majority of people around the world. The majority of people around the world live on less than $2 a day. And so just praying and like, God, remind us as we're fasting, would you remind us that we, we should not take for granted all the ways that we're blessed. And what an incredible opportunity to do that at the week of Thanksgiving before we go like gorge ourselves with food. And one of the reasons why I love this week uh, doing that, specifically this week fasting, is because we, we have to admit, most of us would have to admit, we put a lot of emphasis on food. Like think about through your average day, you're thinking about, well, where am I eating for lunch? And what am I gonna have for breakfast? And what are we gonna eat for dinner? And it's like, we put a lot of focus on food. It's a good opportunity just to remind ourselves that there are other and more important things that we need to spend our time focusing on, amen? So uh, we'll, we'll send an email out to you today, look in your inbox to give you just a reminder of what we're doing and what we're entering in together over the next few days. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to reply to that email and we'll do our best to answer those emails. Let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. God, thank you for what we were able to accomplish yesterday. And, and God, that's the beginning of something even more important. We packed the meals. Those meals are gonna be shipped and there's gonna be people taking these meals off the trucks and ultimately they're gonna probably be put on another truck and they're gonna end up at homes, Father. They're gonna end up in front of kids that are coming to a school and school is the only place that they can come and get a warm meal. And so God, would you send them to the mouths that need them the most? And as we enter into this time of fasting and praying, would you remind us that we do take our lives and our blessings for granted way too often. And so God, I pray that you would help us to be humbled in this experience and that you would raise each of our empathy levels. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Well, we're in this series right now called Disciple Shift, if you're brand new with us. And in this series, we've introduced these 10 steps 
to you. And these 10 steps are what we're calling markers of a disciple or steps that we would hope you make as a disciple of Jesus. And I wanna keep emphasizing this. This is not an exhaustive list. These are simply steps that we feel like as a church, we can help facilitate for you. Like we can create opportunities for you to help take another step. Like a quick glance at this, and you may notice where it's like, hey, there's nothing about reading God's word on there, but a deeper look into this, and you would know if you know anything about Rooted. In Rooted, which is a 10-week experience, we want all of you to go through, uh, you learn the importance of being in God's word and you talk about that as a group. If you were to get in one of our groups currently, uh, especially in the beginning of the year, uh, we're, going, we're going to emphasize the importance of being in God's word every single day uh, when you're in those steps. So some of these steps create other steps uh, and as well as the faith development courses as we get those put in place are going to emphasize the importance of the word of God. So not an exhaustive list, but a list that we hope all of you Take. We call this the faith development track or faith development steps. Steps that we're going to partner with you as a church to hopefully to help you, know, you continue on your faith development track. Now, there's a little bit more of an impetus behind why we put these in place. Several years ago, uh, there was a Willow Creek Association did one of the most one of the biggest surveys that have ever been done for Christians in America, like they surveyed more Christians and more churches that had, than had ever been surveyed before, asking them several questions. And one of those questions was, hey, what would you like your church's help with? And the number one answer was, I wish my church would help me to show me what my next step in my faith journey is. In other words, I feel like I'm stuck in my spiritual life. And I want someone to come alongside of me. I wish somebody would come alongside of me to help me to figure out what does that next step need to be for me. And not only that, we also believe this will help to challenge the spiritual complacency in all of our lives because we're all guilty, including myself, of allowing Jesus to go from his rightful place, which is number one, our focal point of our life, to drift somewhere over into the periphery of our life. Drift happens to the best of us. And so hopefully this will also help to challenge the spiritual complacency that has the potential to creep into all of our lives. And if you don't know this, this is my personal mission statement to you as your pastor that I want to, to help educate, equip, and empower you to stand firm in the gospel, stand firm in your faith where you live, work, and play. And so part of that equipping, part of that empowering, part of that educating will come through these 10 steps. This is why we as a church leadership are putting a lot more emphasis behind the subject of discipleship. Uh, we're, we just hired a full-time staff position to oversee this. And we're also putting additional resource behind it as well. This is a big deal for us. Let me take it a step further. We just came back from a retreat last week where our, our staff got away and we determined that over the next six months, every, every six months, we develop what we call a WIG, our wildly important goal. And our wildly important goal over the next six months is to help as many of you as possible figure out what your next step is and help you to take additional steps. So next week, you're gonna see a questionnaire be presented and we're gonna present that questionnaire over the next uh, probably three to four weeks. And I'm just gonna plead with you as your pastor, would you please fill that out for us? Because that questionnaire is going to ask you how many of these steps that you've already taken and some of you, like, you're gonna be able to answer that based on steps that you've taken at other churches. Like some of you, you said yes to Jesus at another church. You said yes to baptism at another church. Maybe you went on a mission trip, global mission trip at another church. And so you can check that box, even though you didn't do it here. But that's gonna tell us a lot. That's gonna tell us like, hey, what is the number one step that the majority of our church hasn't taken? 
And then we can create and facilitate more opportunities around what that step could be for us. And so that'll be very, very important for us. Please, when you get that questionnaire, make sure you take the time to fill it out. Now, for our time today, I thought it would be fitting to highlight one particular step for us, and that is our Go mission trip. And the reason why I feel like this is fitting for our time today is because this is kind of like a nation's week for us, where we start with the meal packing event, and then we typically highlight our nation's partner, and our primary nation's partner is Mission of Hope. And so maybe you don't know this, that the same organization, Mission of Hope, that helps us with the meal packing, that facilitates the meal packing, is also the same organization that we send go trips to. And I need you to know this, like I need you to know something. Before I would ever get up on this stage and strongly encourage you to take one of these trips, to strongly encourage you to go on an overseas trip, because I know for some that creates some anxiety and it's, there's a little bit of a deterrent there for you. Maybe there's a few reasons why, and we're gonna, we'll talk about those. But I need you to know that it was important to me to first vet that organization <laughs> because being in ministry as long as I have, I've been a part of missions organizations that were not well led and that were not well organized and it made for a bad experience for everyone. And so what it was, again, important to me that I vetted this organization first. So about a year and a half ago, we started conversations with Mission of Hope. Since then, I've taken two trips with them down to the Dominican and this past July even took my 14-year-old daughter with me down to the Dominican. And I would tell you, and a bunch of our team members here, our staff members have also been on trips. So many of you have already been on trips. And I would tell you unequivocally that we have no reservations whatsoever to send you on one of these trips. You're gonna be safe. You're gonna be challenged. You're gonna have an incredible experience. And so we're gonna talk about that today. But what I wanna do with the rest of our time together is potentially answer the question that some of you are asking. And it probably sounds like this. Why is it so important? Like, why is it so important that I go on a go mission trip? Like Aaron, out of all the things that you could have put on that list, that top 10 list of steps to take, why did go mission trip, why did a go mission trip make that list? And here's where I need you to listen to me. Because where you may think that I'm gonna give you some flippant answers or potentially some, you know, just opinions, I want you to know that the answer to that question might be more compelling to your faith and might be more important to your faith than you think it is. And so here's where I wanna start. As Americans, specifically Americans who are Christian, we are all affected and even infected by something called consumerism. We have all been catered to by marketing companies like, hey, you're number one, and so we want you to know you're number one. What can we do for you? We've all been coddled by customer service. We've all grown up in a culture that says, hey, focus on number one because you just need to look out for yourself. Consumerism has led to this mindset of, hey, what's in this, what's in this for me? Because we've grown up in this kind of entitled culture and so we all are always thinking, even if it's subconsciously, like, what am I going to get out of this? What is in this for me? But unfortunately, that statement, that sentiment is opposite or even antagonistic to a directive that Jesus gave us. In Luke 9, 23, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, not put themselves first, not bring themselves to the front of the line, not only think about how this is going to affect you, just the opposite, deny yourself. Maybe think of others above yourself, as Philippians 2 says. Take up your cross, follow me. 
I would argue that that is the clearest directive that Jesus, the clearest discipleship directive that Jesus has ever given us. There's an interesting moment in the ministry of Jesus where a couple of his disciples started to kind of take on this selfish mindset. And they begin to think to themselves, hey, what is in this for us, Jesus? In other words, like when we get to heaven, are we gonna have a better position? Are we gonna have a place of honor because of how close we were to you now? And Jesus notices this. And he sees it as a teachable opportunity, not only for those two disciples, but those 12 disciples. And I would say he saw it as a teachable moment for all of us today. And so he pulls the guys in and he begins with these four, four words. He says, not so with you. Like when you see the people around you, the people you work with, when you see them leverage their influence so that they can get ahead, even if that needs to be manipulation, even if they have to be deceiving so that they can get what they want, like you're gonna see that happen, but not so with you. When you notice that people, maybe even in your own family, can be very selfish, only think about themselves and how the things that are happening in your family dynamic are only affecting them, it'd be easy for you to jump on that bandwagon, but Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Trace, the church is supposed to be a breeding ground for humility. The church is supposed to be a breeding ground for serving and giving of ourselves selflessly. The church is not supposed to be a place where we come to consume and bring this consumerism mindset with us. The church is supposed to be a place where we come and we contribute. And we say, God, what do you want from me? How can I make this place better? How can I add to the value of what I'm experiencing so that maybe somebody else gets to experience it as well? Which is why I would argue that consumerism has become a cancer to the church in America. I would go as far as to say that consumerism has become a cancer to the Great Commission. And I know, we, I know we've read it several times throughout this series, but I'm gonna read it again. Jesus said, therefore, go and make. Don't sit and take. That's what consumers do. No, go and make. I've got, I've got a challenge for you. I'm, I'm trying to help you to see that we're gonna be a part of something together, that I need you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. You see, if the main approach of our faith is selfish, if the main approach of our faith is, hey, what's in this for me? I'm not sure how many people we're gonna get to the grace of God. Discipleship is not about sitting and taking. It's about going and making, which is why as Christians, as fully devoted disciples of Jesus, we must fight the consumer that's inside of every single one of us. And that brings me back to these global mission trips or what we just call go trips. You see, when you go on one of these go trips, you will be forced to set aside comfort. You will be forced to set aside selfishness you will have to step out in faith. For some of you, you're gonna need additional courage and you're gonna be put in scenarios where it's next to impossible to be selfish because the needs in front of you are simply too great. 
There are few things, church, there are few things that you will ever experience like a go trip that will challenge your comfort, that will challenge your complacency, that will challenge the consumer inside of each of you like one of these trips will, which is why I think it's so important that all of us take this step at some point in our faith journey. I've been on several of these trips uh, all around the world. And several years ago, I got to go to a place called Garbage City on the outskirts of Cairo. I've been there twice now. And while I was at uh, Garbage City walking through there, I got to hear the story of how this place came, uh, came to be. And it's exactly what you think it would be by its title. It's where Cairo sends the majority of its garbage. But what you might not know is in the 1960s, the Christians in Cairo were kicked out and forced to go live in the garbage. It would have been an easy time for them to make excuses, excuses, maybe even throw their hands up and be like, man, I guess there's nothing else for us to do. We might as well give up. But instead, what they decided to do is start digging in the side of mountains and created some of the most beautiful churches that you've ever seen in your life. These are now known as the cave churches in Cairo. And there's several of them. This is only a picture of a couple of them. And when people travel all around the world to see these cave churches, you know, they are there to marvel at their beauty. But I would have to tell you that when I was there and I was walking through, through them and listening as the tour guide is showing us things and listening to the story of how they were persecuted and how they had every opportunity to give up and just kind of, you know, let go and be like, ah, I guess we're just going to live in the garbage and we'll kind of trudge our way through life day to day. But instead, they all came together to make sure that not only they had a place to worship their heavenly father, but a beautiful place to worship. Instead of giving up, they decided to grab onto the grace of God in a bigger way. And for me, when I walk through that, I'm convicted. <laughs> I'm convicted of my own complacency. I'm convicted of how easy it is for me as an American to get comfortable with all the leisure that we have in our lives. And I'm reminded of what it looks like for me to pick up my cross and follow Jesus daily. I could share so many stories from so many trips that I've been on where I've walked through the slums of cities and seen things that were truly unbearable, but I simply don't have time for that today. But what I would tell you is that these trips have been moments in my faith, moments that have refined my faith, moments that have redefined my purpose, moments that have made me reassess all the things that I need to be grateful for. A couple weeks ago, I talked about a particular passage in Romans 10, how I want us to be ascending church. And I wanna read that to you today and I wanna use it in a different context and light for us today. Romans 10, Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go? Everybody say go. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? 
I want us to be ascending church. And some people would argue, well, Aaron, can't we be ascending church without people having to go be a missionary or go on a global trip, have to go overseas? And I would say, absolutely, yes. That every single week we walk out those doors, I hope we leave with a sent mentality. And a sent mentality is we come in here and we gather together and we experience God's power and purpose together. And hopefully we're more motivated to go and take the good news of Jesus Christ to our lost friends and neighbors and coworkers and family. I hope we're ascending church. And yes, you don't need to go overseas on a mission trip to live out the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. But here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. When you do go on one of these trips and you allow God to challenge you, when you're forced to see the world the way that God sees it every day, when maybe some of you have to depend on God for greater amounts of courage because it makes you nervous to to leave America, to go overseas to a foreign country, to a third world country. And so now you're leaning and you're digging into your faith more deeply. And when you allow God to use those experiences to change you and you, and you bring that back, you know what often happens? Is you become more motivated to be sent to people that are closer to you right now. I want every single one of you to go on one of these global trips. I want every single one of you to know how God could use you in an area, how God could use you in someone's life that hasn't experienced near the blessings that you've experienced in your life. But I also want you to see how much joy (laughs) exists in people's lives who don't have near what you have, but they've learned how to be grateful and be content with what they do have. Now, I wanna get really practical because I know that for so many of you, it comes down to expense. I would say expense oftentimes is one of the biggest deterrents that keeps people from going on trips. And in full transparency, these trips cost around $2,000. But here's what I want you to know. We actually don't want you to pay for these trips. Like a very intentional part of this process is that you invite people to sponsor you, to actually give for you to go on one of these trips. And we'll come alongside of you and show you how to do that. But here's what happens. Here's one of the cool things that happens as a part of this trip. You're gonna reach out to people that you know. And I would even encourage you to reach out to people that don't believe in Jesus and just say, hey, God's moving in my life right now. And I'm gonna do something that I never thought I would do. And I'm gonna go on one of these global trips. And my church has asked me to fundraise for it. And so would you be willing to support me financially to go on this trip? And then when you go and experience what God has for you on one of these trips and you bring that back and you write out your thank you letters and you're sending them to people. And it's like, hey, I didn't expect this, but this is what God did in my life. And this is one of the things things I experienced and I met this little girl and and you just, you tell of these experiences and here's what happens. The person on the other side of that letter who potentially has been spiritually stuck in their own faith gets a little bit convicted, (laughs) starts to think about what it would look like for them to take another step closer to Jesus. These trips can make an incredible impact, not only in your life, but in people's lives around you. And here's what I would like for us to do. Okay. This is This is how I think we create a special church instead of just a good church. What if we all made a commitment this morning that anytime someone sends you a support letter to support them on a trip, that all of us agree today to give something, decreasing the financial deterrent. For some of you, it might only be 10 bucks and that's all you can do. We get it. For others, it could be a hundred. For others, it could be a thousand. But what if we all committed today to say, We'll all give something 
will all give something decreasing the number one deterrent, often keeping people from going on one of these trips. Hopefully, you'll come alongside of me in that request. Some go. Some send. But every single one of us, Trace, is called to go and make disciples of all the nations. Here's what I want to do to close out uh, this time together. I'm going to invite TJ from Mission of Hope to come up here. And as he's making his way up here, I want you to know that we're creating and developing a multifaceted relationship with Mission of Hope. Uh, This includes meal packing, go trips, and our next step with them is going to be um, child sponsorship. And so to best explain that to you, I wanted to invite him to come up and explain what these uh, child sponsorships look like. And so can you welcome TJ from Mission of Hope to the stage. Well, good morning, Trace. It's always so good to come back to beautiful Colorado and uh, just to spend some time with you guys. The meal pack was amazing yesterday. Uh, Because of those 125,000 meals, you are feeding 550 kids for an entire year. I mean, that's amazing what you guys are doing. Yeah, come on, that's good. So Mission of Hope exists while following Jesus Christ to bring life transformation to every man, woman, and child. And we do that in multiple ways. And one of that is the Go Trips. I, I love to hear, you know, the, the partnership with all the Go Trips. I'm actually the director of Hope Go. And so if it's a great trip when you come down, that's, a, that's my team's fault. Uh, if it's bad, it's my fault. Okay, so just put that out there. But man, we are excited to hear that you guys are going to continue bringing teams and even more teams. So excited to hear that. That's how we do part of what we do. Sponsorship is a major opportunity. And if I'm honest with you, it's a major challenge for us. We have 15,000 kids in our school system in Haiti. Not all of them are sponsored, but we just can't say no. We want kids, if they want an education, they want a meal, um, we get to share the gospel with them. We have Christ-centered, gospel-based edu- uh, curriculum. They get medical care. They have a pastor that oversees the school that they're in. We, when kids come to our schools, they get that. We have 17,000 kids on a waiting list. We need you. We need your help, but more than us, those kids are praying, those moms and dads are praying that their kids can come to school. And the only thing that's stopping us is the resource to be able to employ more teachers, and that's covered by sponsorship. The resource that's stopping us is the financial part that keeps us from able to provide more food, and that that happens through sponsorship. The, The curriculum, the books, all the things that make schools run is supplied by $39 a month. Every kid that comes to one of our schools gets a meal every day, a hot meal every day. Every kid that comes to our school, they have a pastor that oversees them. They hear the gospel every day. Our teachers are all vetted. They all know the Lord. They love the Lord. And they serve those kids because of that. Haiti is, uh, it's very illiterate. If you don't know much about Haiti, I will tell you that out of all the kids in the public school system that go to Haiti, 2% of them actually graduate. Most of them never make it beyond fifth grade. Even in the private school sector, that only goes up to about 8% of kids that start in private schools in Haiti graduate. In Mission to Hope schools, I love telling this statistic, 99.8% of our kids graduate. Um, It's amazing. Man, I'm so thankful. And the only way that happens is by people across North America say, hey, we want to sponsor we want to be a part of. I've got two stories here. A kid named Stanley, I want to introduce you to him. Stanley is pretty normal. Like most kids in Haiti, he's going to start off his life probably in slums or a really hard environment. But whenever somebody says, hey, I want to sponsor 
a kid, and maybe Stanley's out on the table, um, you know, Stanley now gets to go to school. When Stanley gets to go to school, he goes and he begins to dream. And maybe for the first time of, in his life, he has hope. A common phrase in Haiti is, I can't. Our curriculum is actually called, I can. Because we want to teach students that they can have hope. And so Stanley now is studying as he's preparing to graduate, wants to go to university, and he sees a need. He sees that electricity is very unstable in Haiti, and he actually wants to study the science of electricity, how to make it more stable in his own country, which is a dream of ours, that Haitians would own the problems and the gospel opportunities in their country, and they would be the answer. And you get to be a part of Stanley's life, and hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of kids like that have dreams, and they have hopes. They're just waiting for somebody to say yes, because they can't without you. I, I, here's a, a whole story all the way through. A lady named Venna. If you've been to the Dominican Republic with us, you've probably met Venna. Venna hangs out uh, around the Commons area. She's our director of hospitality. And Venna started in school um, when she was in when she was eight years old into kindergarten. She could not spell. She she could not write. She could not read. She couldn't do anything. And so she goes into school and she begins to learn how to write. She begins making friends and all the things are happening. But one day in school, while in kindergarten, for her to go to first grade, she had to be able to write her name at least. So she stands up in front of class, the teacher calls us up. And if she would tell you, she was like, I was so nervous because I've never done anything in front of anybody before when it comes to writing because I couldn't read or write. She gets up and she spells Venna Destin on the wall. And she turns around and looks at her teacher and her teacher just goes, Gives her a thumbs up. And Venna says she started screaming and she runs out of her classroom. She lived close to campus. She ran all the way out of campus, ran home, told her mom and dad, I can spell my name. I can spell my name. And they're like, that's awesome. Why are you not in school? And she ran back to school and finished the day. Venna got to go to school. She was in our very first class in 1998. She started with us, a sponsor, sponsor from the very beginning all the way through to graduation. This is the hope. The students would graduate. The sponsor took her all the way through graduation, but while people were coming down, Venna began to translate English because we teach English in all of our schools. And as Venna began to make connections um, to people that came through, one uh, gentleman saw just something different in Venna. And he said, Venna, I want to sponsor you to go to college. So Venna got to go to college in Santiago. She now has a degree in business administration. And now she is on our staff as our director of hospitality. And this is the story that we wanna replicate over and over and over through sponsorship is that a child has hope and then a child changes a nation. That's the hope. And so, yeah, it's amazing. And so where do you come in? This morning, as, you, as we exit after Pastor Aaron dismisses us this morning and we get an opportunity to worship and we're dismissed, right outside, right by, right by all the boxes, we have a, a table with kids who are waiting to be sponsored. It's $39 a month is what it is. And I will tell you, it is life altering. When Haiti opens up, I'd love to take you down and, and introduce you to your child at some point when Haiti opens back up. But right now, man, they are waiting for someone to continue to push them forward. When, when Daisha called, um, when Daisha called me, she said, TJ, I, I have a challenge for our church. I mean, I just, it's a lot, man. I, I was like, how many kids do you, are you thinking? She said, we want to sponsor 250 children. That's a lot. But here's what I know about Trace Church. This is my third year to be here um, on Meal Pack Weekend. This is a special church. I, I've told Pastor Aaron and Sarah will be like, you know, my kids are about to graduate when they do. We're moving to Colorado Springs and this is going to be my church. That's what's going to happen. I love this place. 
And here's what I know. Here's what I know. This church is special. You are the most efficient church in North America. I can confirm that. But I also want to put the challenge out just from a friend to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray about it. Go out there, look at the faces and see who God wants you to take home with you and sponsor and pray for and correspond with and make an eternal and, a, and a also a physical impact on their life today. You can do it. I wanna pray over you and pray over this church and then Pastor Aaron will be back. Father, thank you for Trace Church. Thank you for what you're doing here in Colorado Springs and the surrounding area. God, that this church is leaving a trace, the people here are leaving a trace wherever they go, including Dominican Republic and in Haiti. God, we pray, I pray, Lord, that you would connect people here with the cards out there that aren't just cards, those are kids. We know those kids. We took the pictures of those kids. We know their dreams, we know their hopes, we know their ages, and God, when somebody here, God, when you prompt their hearts, let them know that they are quite literally answering a prayer of a mom and dad, that their kid would get an education. God, I pray for hundreds of prayers to be answered over the next four weeks, starting today, as the sponsorship campaign takes off. God, I'm so thankful for Pastor Aaron and this church, not being faithful just to one another, but being faithful to you and your call in this city and to the world. Thank you, Lord. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.